we're just overrun with axolotls. So we started off with two and then we lost one and we got another one. And then that new one had babies with the, the older one, the second one. And they had a lot of friggin' babies, wow. man. Really? Yeah. A lot more than 34. Question a lot of them art? got eaten. They eat their babies. Uh, they that eat that their doesn't babies. surprise me, to be honest. Question, aren't oxalotas like um, a danger, endangered species, protected species? No? No. I, I hope not, because otherwise this podcast I, I, just went rogue. <laughs> yeah, this, we cannot air this. We cannot air this part of the podcast. You're listening to What's That Noise, the podcast that pursues matters of confusion and clarity, however and whatever that means. Well, maybe like I, I think they're like exclusive to one country, right, or, or like one area. So they're they're found near Mexico City. Okay. Or, or as natives. Right. Okay. Yeah. So in the in the wild, they are. I think. Because that's Sorry, that's, that's where my girlfriend's from. She's from Mexico, and I and I remember mentioning at some random point that you had one, and she was like, and 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 she gave me the impression that those were protected species over there or something. So I was like, <laughs> out they're, of they're protected out of, yeah. in the okay, wild. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Really. But you can breed oh, them. Oh, okay. Right, right. So you go and you buy one in a fish store and then yeah. got you in the I didn't them. go to Mexico and steal <laughs> no, I, well. wild axolotls. No, Come you on. were too busy snuffing coke too and smuggling heroin over the border. What were you doing with an axolotl? That was the ruse. I'm just taking yeah. this axolotl. There's here. no profit in it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. So well, not you're yet. in with the Mexican cartel, <laughs> and Christina was over at a fish shop. <laughs> so, to, to, I surrender. I, sur I surrender. surrender. There it is. There it is. We got and a voice. We're back. <laughs> um, so, Tommy, <laughs> wh which I, like where did you get your oxalata? Why are you gonna? Are you researching? No, this? I was just gonna say. I, I feel, feel like no, you're no, investigating no, me. <laughs> Are you investigating me? Would you mind repeating now that I'm recording that you own an oxalotl, please? <laughs> <laughs> and say your your full name, please. <laughs> I, I, I just want to hear it again. It wasn't clear to me. <laughs> hear what? What are you talking about? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so for those who are listening, thank you for tuning in. I'm sure you can recognize that we obviously have spent some time hanging out together before. Actually, the first time that uh, Al had met Fernando, our lovely guest today, who I, I will have you introduce yourself in just a moment, my friend, was back in September of last year. That's right. Because uh, Fernando and I were hanging out in um, in the, the wonderful city of Kingston, Ontario, Love Canada. Kingston. I had to think about that for a yeah, minute. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while. Because uh, we were launching a, a data experiment. Fernando and I go back since the beginning of my postdoc, where we had done research together. And uh, like basically all of the research that I did in my postdoc and the stuff that I continue to do as a moonlight researcher in the evenings, when I'm not daylighting as somebody <laughs> completely different, uh, it's, it's investigating location data privacy issues. But, you know, when you're a social scientist, you don't get to go into a, a smartphone and like investigate kind of mm -hmm. like the way fernando just did with me in the axolotl right, right. yes yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't unpack that without right. having the right people and fernando was my my first point of contact so i'm really excited to have you on the show today man because we're going to talk about the confusion around location data mm. this and i think especially now with um 
with the way people are trying to track things, with the way that people are trying to uh, uh, put together apps, that's that's one of the big things that is on everybody's ears, uh, everybody's mind, excuse me, as they start to realize how much am I being tracked? Where am I going? What are they doing with that information? And of course, you and I see don't always see eye to eye in this. I sometimes kind of do the whole. Actually, I kind of like them knowing where I am. What if I get in trouble? And let me you're play like, devil's no, advocate for a minute. Let me play devil's advocate here for a And uh, uh, yeah, so heads up, Fernando. I'm going to maybe challenge you guys a little bit Sounds on good. this one. I think he's ready for you. I don't, yeah. I don't think I am. No offense. We've, we've thrown bigger fish at him before. <laughs> many times. <laughs> the, first, the first time, actually, was uh, we gave a public presentation. I was in Germany with Ben Muller, Kirsty Ball. Grant Blank from the Oxford Internet Institute. I got a whole bunch of people together in Europe to give our first round of revealings of what we had been investigating mm-hmm. around how uh, third-party analytics companies were were taking location data from smartphones in real time. And there was like all these like high-end researchers from Germany, and they were asking all sorts of questions. And I, I they knew me from a previous uh, visiting fellowship, and they were all kind of giving me that face, like you're a social scientist, yeah, and you're talking about technical <laughs> stuff. And so we had Fernando in the background right. live ready to take questions and oh that's awesome that's the most confident i have ever <laughs> felt dealing with location data right bad eh? and there's no better segue so fernando my friend if you wouldn't mind just quickly introducing yourself and saying hi to our wonderful listeners yes absolutely so first of all like i, th- I think it's awesome that this is happening and you know we get to talk about this project and and you know just being here and you know it's it's such an interesting journey that we've had together working on this and being able to share this i think it's awesome so uh, i know we we had talked about this happening at some point but like it's it's been a while so you know finally it's happening so that's that's awesome so thanks for having me and yeah so my name is fernando hernandez and i'm an analytics developer at the center for advanced computing at queen's university so um yeah and i guess you know in in my day-to-day role really it's 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 really broad because at the cac which is center for advanced computing um we do so much stuff uh in the end it's all about supporting research and that is that that can mean a lot of things and obviously our, our expertise right are on the computing side of things uh personally it's more on the software development um a specific like area and that is how we ended up working on this project uh with you tommy um an interesting link that i think tom and i have talked about before as just kind of one of those weird confusions is tech itself anything to do with tech your your collection and your data and everything like that fernando it crosses over to the mainstream so uh, so regularly that we can't really say, okay, this is a tech situation. We do have to kind of recognize this is much a social situation as well, isn't it? Like, I mean, nobody is going to sit there and say, oh yeah, I've got this, uh, I, you know, I've got this app Strava that helps locate where I am to time my walks and everything like that, and not have the deep dark side of that, like that you kind of deal with, uh, Fernando, and saying, yeah, you know what they're going to do with all that location data? Do you have any idea? So maybe just break it down. Where do you see that link between this being a social thing and this being a technical thing? Do you see a link at all there? Uh, I think that that's a tough question. It's interesting because... Ah, you see? <laughs> You had those big brainy university guys, not nearly as hard as I am. Right out of the shoot. Yeah. One of the... That's the toughest you're going to get, though. Yeah. But uh, you know what's what's interesting is in, in this... Tommy, we've talked about this. We have very different lenses on how things work. So 
um, when you're on the software development side of things, you have, um, you know, say it's a client or your boss or the, you know, the whatever, you know, higher management or whoever's making the decisions for a certain company to, to develop a certain application, and they have certain requirements for the application. And then what you come up with is a solution that covers that. And when, when, when you look at it from the perspective of a developer, all you see is what is, what, what is, what do I have available to accomplish those, uh, or, or to, I guess, to cover those requirements. So it's more like from a technical point of view, it's really hard to think about the social aspects in, in people who are like making the decisions of what the application should do and how it should treat different things. Um, many times they're not necessarily thinking about the, the, the impact that it has, right? Uh, how, how it typically goes is it's something like this. We need an application to do A, B, and C. And so then you create that and then it's like, okay, and we also want to make sure that we can have some analytics to see the performance of the application or, or see how the users are, are using the application, things that we can do to improve the application. Uh, so, so that is simply the conversations that happen. But in those conversations, uh, many times there isn't that, you know, that question of, hey, is there going to be, are, are we are we missing something here, Right. Oh, now that, but that's like, that's huge. It's like, for really, you to say, it gives a lot of context, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but like, for you to say that, like, this, let, let's say, for the lack of a better word, a nefarious context of the information. Sure. Gathering, okay. Let's just say, for sake of our argument, you know, there's some guy with a monocle and a top hat. <laughs> now, let's just say that there's that guy out there. That guy's not even thought of in the process of developing an app. That's entirely like, let somebody else deal with it. That's not even considered. It could be that way. Now, I gave you one one example. That's only one of many, right? Like, obviously, there there could be right. there could be situations where uh, there is someone uh, who's making the decisions, and they know that the, that data has value, and they can sell that data. And then that's a different conversation. Then there are other uh, requirements that will be um, needed to be injected in the application for uh, the better experience of the user, uh, right? And then there, there can be other things happening there. But really, when it comes to the typical project, right, like we're, we're just putting out of the table that nefarious, uh, you know, villain that that you've uh, that you've proposed, and it, it's just a matter of you have certain uh, requirements, and then how to technically achieve those or to cover those requirements. So it's an interesting, you know, like trying to think about that. Um, and later on, I think we can we can talk about like once we get more into how there are obviously privacy policies and stuff like that. But then when we get into that, there's going to be an interesting conversation on how those policies, because they're written from policymakers or, or they're written from a from a in terms of words and in terms of human actions. They're not written many times in technical aspects. So it is very hard. Like it, 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 there needs to be a certain translation into how it is applied. So what I'm what I'm hearing from Fernando is that when when somebody builds an application for a phone and that application has to deal with, let's keep it relevant, location data, there isn't like a universal piece of coding that you put into the app that allows you to get the data or the measurements that you need for that app to do quote unquote location processing. Right. Okay. If you're playing Pokemon Go. Right. You need to know where you are. Right. So the the application isn't automatically going to get data that says, oh, this is where the user is. Right. The the people that build Pokemon Go, they have to work with the operating system to build out the the techniques or the methods and the code required 
to get the kind of measurements they need to determine coordinates, uh, where you're moving, if you have like a waypoint to get there, how fast you're moving, your elevation, there's all sorts of stuff going on. And this is why I was really excited when Fernando started off with giving us a, like a, a bit of a closer look at the context around right. how location data are created, because I think this is deep already. Yeah. But I want to. I even want to step back even further a little bit well, uh, and uh, have have uh, a more general conversation about like for the everyday person, what does location data mean to you? Like, let me let me put it to you this way, right. Al. If if I have to ask you to tell me what you think location data is, how would how would you respond? Well, I was I was just going to say I think all of us have that moment, especially when you're of the ilk I am, where you realize you're the stupidest person in the room, and I get that a lot. But uh, I will I will tell you what the average everyday guy thinks when we get like one of those apps. Let's use Pokemon Go or or Uber or Lyft or whatever. Where we think, all right, I pushed the button, this thing came on. It sent it up to a satellite, the you know the one satellite that we know about in the sky, <laughs> and that satellite then says, "Okay, yeah, I got you tracked," and that's that's how it works. That, that I, I will tell you, that's probably what ninety nine point nine percent of us think, and then it comes back and says, "Okay, you're in London, Ontario," and be able to give you a yeah uh, an exact and, uh, and I and I don't think most people would disagree with you. I, in fact, I would even venture to say that that's probably a more sophisticated answer than. Than most people have, so like let me give, let me qualify that a little sure. bit, right? Yeah, go so on. a couple of years ago, when Fernando and I were having like our initial, you know, in person beer conversations before the pandemic about like how do you have a conversation about confusion around location data, we we started looking at like the obvious places. What happens if you enter in location data politics on Google? What happens if you look up location data with quotes around it in Google Scholar? What kind of things will you see? So what you end up getting are like privacy policies from corporations like Facebook, right? So uh, here's the statement on how we, we deal with your location data. And then there's, there's a, a definition of what location data might look like. Here's another example. The Privacy Commissioner at the federal level for Canada. Location data is, you know, data that pertains to where you are. And then they always give brackets, e.g. GPS coordinates. So I've opened, yeah. So I've opened up my phone here, and I've dropped a pin of of uh, you know where we are in the map, and some information and some data has shown up that I would generally describe as location data, and I'm going to give it to you, and I don't want you to read out what it is because sure, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. my privacy is important. Yeah, yeah. Fernando, come <laughs> on over. Yeah. What on the screen presents itself to you as data, location data? There's the address there. There's the address. Yeah. Yeah. And then I see the coordinates of latitude and longitude. Yeah. So latitude and longitude being the most obvious example right. of location yeah, yeah, yeah. data. Yeah, like geocaching or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be my, my most obvious. Yeah. And so I, what I'm, the point that I'm trying to make here is that when everyday people think about the pandemic and they think about um, governments watching them, so there are, there are governments all around the world, for example, that have used really aggressive uh, contact tracing methods to check and see whether or not people are actually quarantining this. Right. If you leave your house, they will know. They geofence. So they establish like a, an invisible virtual border around mm -hmm. your house and they monitor your phone. And if that phone travels outside of that geofenced area, the location data that's sent up to the government triggers a warning and then they send police to your house. 
Oh my gosh. So I, I think in the pandemic, we've all learned a little bit more as a society about location data, and we all generally think about it as GPS coordinates. Mm-hmm. And this is where things get really exciting for me, because the actual data going on behind the scenes, the stuff that app developers consider location data, the stuff that governments and ministries of health and surveillance agencies and big corporations that have a vested interest in collecting this stuff, they see something very different than what we see. What do they see? And that's why I wanted Fernando to come on oh, the show. Man. Oh, Because <laughs> this is what we've been investigating. This, okay. this is the crux of all of the work that I've been doing with Fernando for the last three and a half years. The so, difference between what users see, what's actually going on behind the scenes. Let me in on the secret here. I'm feeling left out. What, what is... So what... Like, is an app developer seeing as, quote, location data? So, yeah. What, or what do, you, what do you see it as? Like, you're, you're yeah, the... Yeah, what's your definition of location You're, data? you're yeah. the investigator that's been helping me go through it, and I've, I've been so excited to see where your brain goes on this. So, so I think, you know, before this project or anything like that, um, similar to what you've been describing, I think coordinates is probably what comes to mind, and that is, you know, I, I think that it's... it's the reason why it's it's very obviously we see them around latitude longitude we hear those words and i think it's also very visual right where you're seeing a a point, a, 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 a pin on a map right you know in terms of x y where it is and and, and it makes sense to us it's very visual but uh, then when we start looking at okay let's let's see what um you know an android phone uh, would give developers uh, what tools they would give them uh, to be able to collect location data. And that was the very first time that we noticed, wait a second, this can go in many, many different directions. And so I don't know how, how can begin to describe this, Tommy, in a way that's, uh, that, that we're going to order. This is dealing, this is literally us wrestling with the confusion yeah. because this, is, this has been a real, real process for us. Mm-hmm. This has been hard. Yeah. So tell, tell us about some of those directions then. Sorry, I cut you no, off. No, all good. So I think the, the, the very first, and, and we'll try to go from the more, um, you know, from the more abstract to the more intricate ones or the, the deep level ones. So the, the, more, the most abstract one is, is one where in, indeed it's coordinates that you're getting. Now within there, there's two ways of getting that data. So it can come from the GNSS chip which is uh, the one that you described very well that talks to a, a satellite, right? So, uh, you know, it the, the chip does all the magic and then what, what you get back is just coordinates, right? So uh, so, so that is one way of, of retrieving those coordinates, but then there's another way. And um, in the case of Android, they, they just describe it as network. But what network means is, well, in case of cell phones, right, they, they, they have different... Uh, different ways of connecting to things such as Wi-Fi, such as the data that you can use on your phone, right? And so those are other ways of actually telling information about where you are located. So those coordinates can also come from those sources. So we're talking about two different sources and we're just talking about the output from, um, in this case, what we're, the technical term is an API. That is what you're access, uh, what you're actually requesting uh, to. So you're telling it, hey, give me uh, location data or you give me coordinates and then that's what you're getting back. So that's kind of like the first level. So indeed, um, coordinates, that's kind of like the first level. Then there uh, mm. is a second level, which is, kind of like what is happening behind the scenes. So w- when I mention the the GNSS chipset that talks to the satellites, that communication is actually very complicated. So 
what's happening in, in, in you know, it's trying to simplify the, the, the whole process is that satellites are sending, um, they're, they're sending times essentially. So then the chipset receives a certain signal from a certain satellite, it receives a certain time, and then there is a lookup table and it it knows what what was the um, satellite that sent that information. It's just a timestamp, and then it needs to do very complicated um, calculations with many satellites in order to determine the location. So as you can see, there was a lot of calculations to just get down to those coordinates, which means that there's a lot mm -hmm. of data that even though it's not the very polished coordinates that we are used to they can actually tell us information about where you are located. And so that is the raw GNSS data. And the Android okay. um, APIs also make that available to developers. So me as a developer, I can request coordinates, but I can also request raw GNSS data. And what that's going to contain, it's quite literally that inf that, that communication or, or those messages coming from satellites. And they, they may not look like much, right? You, you get an ID for the satellite, what's the constellation that it belongs to, because there's different uh, satellite constellations, and, and you get information like what was the timestamp that it sent, stuff like that. But it's, you know, it, it, it is location data, because in the end, you can actually put it together and determine what's the position of the device that received those measurements. runs. So like Tom uh, just passed me over on his, um, uh, on his phone uh, and I'm reading dollar sign GNGSA comma a comma three comma seven four comma eight four comma six six comma eight and this on and is on and gibberish on. yeah yeah like i i wouldn't know what to do with yeah. all of that and that's actually that means something that's actually designed to be human readable <laughs> <laughs> what, it, what what am i looking at basically okay right so now? <laughs> what what you're looking at is what fernando is describing as what comes out of the chipset so in in everybody's phone you have all sorts of hardware that's attached to like a motherboard right mm -hmm. There's one particular processor, and as it were, okay, I'm, this is for lack of better terms, and yeah, I know yeah, yeah, like yeah. Fernando's brain Fernando's is probably like, twisting and yeah, cringing inside. Eye rolls galore but, over there. <laughs> when he talks about a chipset, it is basically a processor, a little chip that's connected to like an antenna. I mean, we, we, for lack of better terms, we might even call this a receiver. Okay. And that antenna is picking up the satellite signals that are being broadcast. So this is the social science attempt to try and you know, describe what Fernando's already been right. talking about. And it's right. just a different way. When that satellite is being broadcast from the satellite and that receiver that's attached to the antenna and the chip takes that signal and it kind of decodes the signal. And when it's being decoded, that's the output. It's this like, looks like gibberish. It reads as money sign G-N-G-S-A comma blah, 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 comma, blah, right, blah, right, blah. Right. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And even inside of five minutes, there will be tens of thousands of these sentences. And the thing that you just described with the money sign and then the GNGSA, what that basically is, is like a, a, a definition of the sentence of the data. And that definition, you'll see that there's multiple ones. Yeah, here, yeah, yeah. Right? And there's GNZST or something like that, there's, dollar side GNZD, yeah. There's, there's, yeah. there's tons of them. Right. So they define the content that comes after it. So sometimes you get sentences that say the, the actual physical identification number of the satellite that you're okay. talking to. Sometimes it says the height of the satellite in orbit. Sometimes okay. it says the pathway and the next waypoint. 
of that satellite. Okay. Sometimes it has calculations of how accurate the clock inside of the satellite is. Mm. So all of this crap is being beamed down to your phone. And the chipset's responsibility is to, to take that signal and turn it into this. Okay. And then give it to the operating system. Okay, and then what does the operating system do with it? <laughs> That's part of the mystery. All right. So what is this? Fernando, <laughs> what's going on I'm gonna, here? I'm going to defer back yeah, to my yeah, friend yeah. Fernando. No, thank you very much for that, Tommy. And, and you know what, what Tommy just showed you, that is uh, what you would call a protocol. And that protocol happens to have a, a name that sparked a lot of interest uh, from Tommy. And that is, uh, in, 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 in the way that we discovered, you know, it is because, once again, looking back at what the Android APIs had available, there was something about being able to access this uh, location data. So it was related to the location um, APIs, but it said something about NMEA. And we didn't know what it was, NMEA. so we just decided to say, you know what, let's, 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 let's request that and let's print it out. And what it printed out is pretty much the sentences... Uh, that Tommy showed you. So it is once again the 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 in in NBA sentences can contain uh coordinates, so they can contain the processed version, or it can contain the raw measurements uh that I mentioned. In 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 it is just uh, a protocol, a format in which it's and it's a text-based format, I guess, um, that it puts that information into. And the Tommy can get into detail about what happens. The, the, the NBA is a, it's a, it's a it's a complete subject on its own, which is really interesting. But from our perspective, we saw that and we logged that information, and then what we got back are those sentences. That once again, it's just a different format for how uh, location um, information can be represented. So let me let let me play <laughs> play Joe Every Guy here, okay? So. Like, 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 but, but I mean, the, the grand scheme of things, like, I mean, I look at it and I say, okay, so I went on a hike today. I want to, I want to make sure that I don't care which satellite does it. Some satellite needs to track me. Uh, I want an Uber. I want that car to know where I am. I want, um, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm going on a drive to see my parents. I want to know how long it's going to take me to get there. This all sounds good stuff to me. This is not good stuff. Well, I mean, it depends. Yeah. And, and this is where Fernando and I have been genuinely excited but also furiously furiously confused at times okay because what what we've essentially attempted to do as a research team so i'm the social scientist postdoc at queen's university at the surveillance study center mm -hmm. and i've reached out to the center for advanced computing which is basically a research support hub for people like me at Queen's University mm -hmm. who do amazing technical things that I can't do on my own mm -hmm. through advanced computing and artificial intelligence and developing uh, analytics capacities and building algorithms and software and all the stuff that Fernando does really well. And I say to him, I want to see what location data looks like because location data is also surveillance data. Right. If my phone is transmitting location data, it's also Got changing in meaning for different corporations and governments in terms of its value. To me, it's like, how do I get down the street to the, the pharmacy? Right. But to other companies or, cor or, or governments, that is also evidence of my behavior. It's evidence of my habits. It's evidence of where I spend my time and where I don't spend my time, mm. which can be used against you depending upon the context. Mm. 
So I, this is sort of heading into the territory of what I think that you're wondering about. Mm-hmm. But before we get into it, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to return back to something that Fernando said that was really interesting. Yeah. He just described NMEA. Right. The chipset that we've been discussing for the last 10 minutes or so produces data in what's called a protocol, right? But it produces data in two different types. Every chipset and every smartphone on the planet and everybody's smartphone is capable of producing these data. If you can find it where you are and you can travel through your phone, you have a chipset that speaks to navigation satellites. Full stop. You can't turn that off. It does it. Okay. Period. Okay. It produces two different languages of data or two different protocols. One of them is called Global Navigation Satellite System Raw Measurements or okay. GNSS. Okay. The other one is called NMEA 0183 which stands for the National Marine Electronics Association. So there's a whole association, government or or, or otherwise, that's now having access to all of this information and using that to either keep tabs on us or at least kind of build an avatar of us socially. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, let me help you out a little bit. All right. Okay, I'm going to give you a question to ask me. All right. And then I'm going to ask it to Fernando in turn. Okay. Ask us who the NMEA is. Oh, I was just going to ask that. All right, so who are they? <laughs> All right, good. All right, I'm glad we're on the oh, same page. funny I, you should ask, yeah, 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 So who are the NMEA? Who makes up the NMEA? Yeah, so, you know, once again, it's it's just a way in which it's spitting out information, right? So so we can, we can, we can, we can... <laughs> We can uh, we can ask it uh, you know ask request different the different uh, protocols or, or how we want that data to be provided to us, and in in you know the moment we show this to Tommy, Tommy was drinking a nice cup of coffee, and it just he's he's amazed he's shocked, and so shocked that he he pours it on his shirt white shirt by the way. <laughs> All over myself. Read it like a classic movie take of, yeah, of like it was Kaiser exactly So Say esque. Yeah. Uh, reading it on uh, the the reading it on the blackboard, you dropped. You, yeah, really, eh? So we were in Fernando's neck of the the center. It's a very secured off the grid place, and we were sitting in you know his What's place. What's the address? <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> I'm not even going to give you the coordinates. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> We were sitting in the back of this place, and we were we were sitting with a a, 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 a really important project ma- manager who's been integral to the entire project named P- Paige Bedo. Hey, Paige, how's it going? Um, we we're sitting with Paige and uh, two of the uh, young analytics interns that were working for Fernando at the time. So it was those four plus me, and they showed the data up on the screen. So the very first time, we tried listening to the chipset and the phone that that deals with location data, mm-hmm. and it all came up on the screen. And I was like, what the hell is all this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just like the reaction you had, yeah, this doesn't yeah, make yeah, any yeah. sense. And then we saw like GNGSA and all this stuff. And then Fernando scrolled up and he's like, hey, what's this? NMEA. And then we did an alt tab and we Googled it. National Marine Electronics Association. There's just coffee all over myself. Oh my God. And it's, it's because it, I think what happened in the moment was I was really clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> like I usually am. <laughs> but I, I was clumsy because I was stunned. Like I, I wasn't expecting... A, a data s- sentence to look like that. I right. thought I was going to see coordinates. Right. Right. Okay. But when I saw National Marine Electronics Association, I immediately thought like government conspiracy. Right. Why the hell 
what anything called National Marine anything. You may as well call it U.S. Navy. Right, for right, all right. I, That's as far as I was concerned. Right. Coming up into the phone. And so you would you might imagine we were even more surprised when we found out who the actual agency is. You guys are killing me right now. Who is it? So let the cat uh, hold all the way out of the bag here. The National Marine Electronics Association, by their standards... And do we believe this? Just, just, just so that we... Do we believe their standards or do we just kind of like... Is this well, kind of like Rogwa... Uh, 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 Roswell. Here. Yet to be seen. Okay. We're not there yet. Okay. We're not there yet. I mean, I mean that le legitimately. I don't know. Okay. I, I'm still wondering about this. The National Marine Electronics Association, by their standards or their definition, is a nonprofit uh, organization in the U.S. that came together at a boat show in 1957 in New York City. And the reason why this organization was created was to basically create a coalition of boat technology manufacturers. So let's say, I don't know what kind of technology they have in the 50s. A fish finder. A fish finder. Yeah, they were right. wanting a to find where the trout were. A fish were, finder. And they were tired of sitting in the sun, <laughs> so they got a trout fit finder is what they did. That's what we did, and that's yeah. how we solved the problem. Lots of pickerel in that great lake over there. We're going to figure it all out. <laughs> So these <laughs> they come together, and uh, you, you have all these different manufacturers that are probably producing things like steering wheels, connection cables that go to engines and stuff like that. So if you've got like a helm at a boat, and you've got all these different controls, each one of those pieces of technology is producing a data, a data type. Okay. But none of them are talking the same data language. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So this coalition comes together as the National Marine Electronics Association. What they do over the next three decades is get bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the late 70s, I think, or the early 80s, they standardize, they create their own data language. Come on. So that all of the people building boating technology from around the world that are a member of this coalition can all speak the same language. And the data that they, the data sentence that they defined was called National Marine Electronics Association 0183, and it is the language that your phone, one of the two languages that your phone generates when it talks to navigation satellites. And this is on every phone on the planet. All right, let me backtrack for just half a second here. I'm trying to take this all in here right now. Okay, so Fernando, let, let me turn to you. Tom was shocked. Immediate reaction was government conspiracy, very, very clearly government conspiracy. What was your reaction? So that was an interesting, and I I wanted to bring that up because it was very different. So from my perspective, it was, okay, it's a standard, makes sense for technology <laughs> to communicate. <laughs> and, 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 and this right. is the, the interesting bit that I was, that I was, that, you know, we, we, we talked about the very beginning, right? Like um, from a technical point of view, you look at, at requirements and, and you don't really think about the, the impact or, or, or what it could mean for someone different right and and that's what i think this project sure. has meant like to me personally has been really important to be able to see things from a different perspective that tommy brings so that is super interesting um but from a technology perspective i you know it makes sense right like maybe you have a certain uh box where you want to log um all the information or or you want to communicate this you know say you have a fleet of boats and you want to be able to know where all of them are located and they all have different systems and you want to integrate them in some way and, and have a centralized uh way of managing your your whole fleet then i think it, it all makes sense uh from 
an integration point of view and from a technological point of view, right? Uh, so it was fascinating okay. then to hear and, and, you know, hearing it again right now from Tommy, uh, you know, he's, uh, he, how he looked into it, right? Because it, it, it was super interesting to hear from him uh, how it came together and how it all happened. <laughs> And I love, uh, from an outsider looking into this, I love the two perspectives that you're bringing because, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you hear Tom's perspective and you say, clearly this is, uh, this NMEA is now a powerful organization, nonprofit or not, they're a powerful organization. Um, but then, you, you know, uh, Fernando, from your perspective, it's also kind of like, well, that doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that they're kind of the ones that are leading. They just made a data Yeah, yeah, they're, they're the ones that are, that are, that are leading. So... If I was a betting man and I was to put $50 on one of you being right, now that you guys have kind of done a little bit of research, who would I be betting on? <laughs> I, think that... I didn't want to be the first one to respond. Me neither. <laughs> I was waiting for you, Tommy. You thought the university guys were hard, eh? All of a sudden, I'm grilling you guys good here. <laughs> that was a tough one. Yeah. So, I, have, okay, let me, I, let, me, let me pose this a little bit more of a friendly way then. Have either one of you changed your stance while working with each other based on your research? I haven't. No? still. So you're still adamant that the NMEA is a, a front for a government organization wanting to, to keep tabs on us or that the NMEA is in with the, the, the government? Or? No, no. I, don't, I don't think it's anything like that. Oh, okay. It's, it's more complicated. It's, okay. more, it's much more sophisticated than that. I'm, I'm not about to say that the National Marine Electronics Association is a part of a global conspiracy to enable discrete surveillance it's not okay all right okay but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm curious to see how fernando's gonna yeah answer yeah, the yeah 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 fernando yeah. in your way now that you've been doing a little bit of research and and i mean in fairness you were doing this as a tech guy and then all of a sudden uh johnny conspiracy theory comes over and starts blasting you over the head have you started to change your mind on kind of the view of nmea having having uh, a protocol in your in, in your phone so i certainly think that it it opened a different view maybe on it on 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 you know different perspectives but i think that from me just looking at it from a technical point of view and the reasons from a technical point of view i i i can't say that I've changed too much my perspective. It, it's opened that view, but I don't think that I've changed my perspective too much. Like it, it kind of remains in the same place. Like okay. I still see it as it's a protocol. It's it it has to do with intercommunication between devices, um, trying to bring things in on the same level. And I mean, it's 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 something that you see with with audio too. Like I mean, there are very standard cables, for example, for com for communicating and plugging in different audio devices, right? Um, and even right. and even with 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 you know your computer right like usb uh well type a the the most popular in the past now it's it's switching to usb c and, and there's there's standards of as 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 ways of of channels right like standard channels of communicating information between one thing and another and and in the way that those those that information is transferred so i think i see it more from that perspective more than anything sure. else but it has certainly opened, you know, other views into how it could also be seen. And I know, and obviously, yeah. I haven't digged into it as deep as Tommy has, and and, and don't have all the knowledge around the well, enemy. What that else Tommy have you been doing, Fernando? Get on that, <laughs> would you? Jeez, you're just sitting around. Sitting around cracking NMEA 018 or 081 <laughs> instead of actually looking at the implications for crying out loud. It, um, and it, it's interesting to me because I, I, I again, I, I, I come into this as ignorant as uh, as the guy you met at the pub one time in Kingston. You know, I, I haven't done a lot of research, but it's interesting because 
I look and I hear Fernando talk and I say, well, yeah, obviously, like that makes sense. If you're out on a big ocean, you're going to want to make sure that the, the mm-hmm. uh, all of this can can talk to each other. And, you know, that, that totally makes sense. And then I also look and I say, yeah, but when was the last time somebody had access to all of that information and was just like, yeah, and we're going to keep it all hush, hush, secret, secret, no, no problems here, right? <laughs> so, so it's funny because I go, I go back and forth on this. So, so, but, but you're saying that the NMEA is something that we need to, and I don't want to get totally off topic here, and I apologize, but uh, is there anything that you want to mention now about the NMEA and stuff that maybe they should be, well, or we should be talking yeah, about you know, as well? Th- this has been a long time coming. This has been a really long time coming. I've been reluctant to discuss this organization publicly. All right. So is this going to affect me getting over the border here? Or is this, <laughs> I don't know. It, oh, yeah. No, I'd probably not. They're okay. just a nonprofit. Okay, that's right. right? Okay. Um, so, yeah. And the reason why I'm saying that is because uh, our team, and I have a very big team. Fernando is one of the most important parts of that team. Mm-hmm. Fernando has spearheaded and quarterbacked at the same time the entire technical back end for everything that I've done. Mm. All of my postdoc funding the research award that David Lyon and I won a couple summers ago that enabled a data experiment that we did back in the fall, all of that is you know, made possible through Fernando's brilliance and his generosity. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, the CAC as well. Um, and so along the way, we've, we've been able to take these deep dives into the architecture of an operating system, data types, where they go. And one of the things that we did recently back in the fall was we, we had a day of a data experiment and that data experiment, the project was called big data exposed. And the point of big data exposed was to see how companies specifically in the Netherlands, a company, actually one, one company was extracting location data from our smartphone in real time as we were walking around and driving around Kingston. Mm. There's currently a second pilot project of Big Data Exposed being launched by our friend Dylan Mahmoudi down at uh, the University of uh, Maryland, Baltimore County. Smart kid. Very smart kid, yeah. And one of the premises of uh, the data experiment is that this data, National Marine Electronics Association 0183, is being used to not only determine where our device was in real time, but to leverage the language, leverage the data sentence to be creative. Whoa, slow that down. Repeat that? Leverage the data sentence to be creative. Now, I'm going to say for the record that I haven't seen any evidence of this particular company using NMEA 0183. Okay. We know what kinds of location data they were taking. But, 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 what we did see ample evidence of was Google as a company, providing app developers the tools that they need to pull NMEA 0183. And what that allows those app developers to do is to read those data sentences, pull specific pieces of those data sentences out. So you described GNGSA, comma this, comma that, comma this. So the this and the that between the commas are individual variables, we'll call them. And it could be like satellite ID, or it could be the speed that the satellite is traveling at at that particular point in time, or, excuse me, it could be a measurement of the width of the signal coming from the satellite. Mm. And they call that uh, 
phase frequency or something like that in Hertz. And all of these measurements are part of a multi-billion dollar global data marketplace where governments and different corporations come together and they build new techniques and new solutions based upon those data to make their respective products better. For example, if you have a, an app that is meant for a sport like alpine skiing, and you want to make sure that your app is able to track the movement of that skier as accurately as possible, you might not be able to do that by just working with the tools that Google gives you as an app developer. Mm. Sometimes you need to pull those data out on your own and develop a new algorithm mm. that you stick in a cloud somewhere that predicts where you're going to move in a way that's more accurate than your phone can figure out on its own as it talks to navigation satellites. But the only way they're able to do that is by being creative with the data sentence. Mm. Google in 2016 basically opened up the gate. They, they took the cover off the black box and they declared to industry in July 16th of that year, I think it was, or July 12th, any industry, any developer in the world who wants access to these data can now get it using these specific tools that you stick inside of your app. No organization, no app developer in the world could get those data from a smartphone before that. After that, if they want it, they can have it. And what we've been seeing is absolutely mind-boggling. The development of new predictive algorithms to determine where you're going to arrive before you get there. Uh, Truth-telling algorithms to determine whether or not a phone has changed the content of those data sentences to hide where you are. Let's say you're a journalist mm -hmm. and you don't want a government knowing you're in Syria mm -hmm. reporting on the ground. There are applications out there that can change the content of those sentences to make it look like you're somewhere else in the world than where you actually right, are in real right, time, right? So, so like uh, in kind of layman context, and Fernando, uh, you'd probably be familiar with this, like a VPN to hide that we're in Canada so we can Precisely. hack out uh, the American cable or something like that. And this right? is where NMEA 0183 becomes particularly provocative for me. Because they created a data standard, they created also a universal language that is taken up by the global body of international data standards and they've said, this is the one. This is the language everybody should use. So it's not about marine vessels communicating and navigating anymore. Every friggin' device on the planet, every mm. device on the planet that is capable of talking to a satellite or produces location data in different ways probably speaks the language of NMEA 0183. Mm. Why does that matter? It matters because you've created an exclusive secret language that corporations and governments and engineers can speak to one another that no user understands. Our phones are putting out all sorts of measurements in a coded format that no user can access easily on their own. It took us three years to get it. Three years of working together to get this stuff. Holy smokes. And when you have a secretive, com not a secretive community, but when you have a community that's invested billions of dollars to accessing those data so they can pioneer new algorithms about how we move to pioneer new ways of predicting how we're going to get there and to see whether or not our device is sending fake signals for our own privacy and we don't know about it what does that mean for us and how we think about privacy mm -hmm. What does that mean for public consciousness? What does that mean for how we develop legislation moving forward? If we're still talking about coordinates, 
what are we actually talking about? Mm-hmm. Is that the location data that matters? No, and I, I think that's really interesting is kind of lo- what is the location da- uh, data that, that actually matters? Because, again, from a user's perspective, and Fernando, we were kind of joking around about this, from a user's perspective, knowing where I am on a GPS is is good. Um, but then, as Tommy was uh, pointing out, uh, that that guy with the maniacal uh, monocle and uh, um, nefarious ways, he's going to use this for bad. Let me ask you, from a technical perspective... How difficult or how easy is creating a code that can learn, like what Tommy was describing, how easy or how difficult is the technical side of that to create? Is that something that we're going to have hackers in the basement able to do, or is this top NASA stuff? Totally. And and I, that's exactly, I love the fact that you asked that because that's exactly where I wanted to go. So the, 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 the what Tommy's describing is all accurate, given that you have access to that. So there are certain um, safeguards in place, uh, you know, t- for for the for the safety of the users, right? So that is why anytime you download an application and you open it, it asks for permissions, right? To for location or for accessing Wi-Fi or any anything else, pretty much, right? Viewing your contacts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is kind of like a first uh, level of um, of security, and it has gotten a bit more sophisticated, for example, with location specifically. I believe there are two levels of, um, so there is what, what they deter- what they call the right term is course location. So it's not precise location. It's, it, it gives, it, as, you know, with a certain error, a certain location, to the app developer, course as in rough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that is that is that is one of them. And the second one is precise location, right? And that is the type of permission that would allow you know your Google Maps to pinpoint exactly where you are, right? Uh, with the least amount right. of error possible. So those are the two mechanisms. And uh, and and I haven't looked at the documentation recently, but I'm hoping that that is that still holds true. Um, that exist. And all that it takes for an application to be able to request the NMEA data is for them to have precise location. So, and and here's where it gets interesting because um, it is not hard to develop an application. You know, you just just have to give the user a reason for them to say, oh yeah, it makes sense that it would use my location. I will accept that. And then the application has access to all the like all the APIs that I've talked about, to be honest. So whether they want to get get the raw GNSS measurements in a different format, whether they want to get the network or GNSS generated uh, location objects that also contain information like speed, and they've also included nowadays um, what is the method of transportation that the algorithm thinks uh, that you're using. So whether that's a bike, walking, uh, running, or on a car. So that is, that is information that can be provided. It, it, it isn't always provided, but it can be provided. And so um, once you have that, then it's up to the developer, to be honest, to, to decide what to do with that information. They can make a post request to a server that they have. They can store that information and then they can use that for, for the nefarious um, purposes that maybe you're suggesting that could be used for. Um, or they can genuinely 
do do it for the benefit of the user. So it is, you know, at, at the point. And, and again, the I'm, the, I'm the Joe Schmo that, that says, <laughs> I want them to know exactly where I am. I want this idea. Uh, so let me ask you, let me ask you this as well. I, Tommy talks about a project that you guys are working on and and you guys are doing these amazing things and everything like that. And there's this group that's nonprofit and MEA and um, there's, uh, you know, Google is involved and I'm sure there's tons of others that are involved and everything like that. When it comes down to it, the way that I look at it, especially for Google or something like that, it comes down to cost, right? It comes down to money. How much money can I make off of investing this much into it, right? Th things along those lines. Realistically speaking, to sit down with, it sounds like you'd need some hella smart people to sit down and write some of these predicting codes and, and things along those lines. I wouldn't even know, like, what would a cost be? Would it be worthwhile for an individual group startup to, to do this? Uh, or, or is this all just kind of... Um, potentially hazardous and we don't really need to worry about this because nobody really can afford to to hire all these great minds to work in the the, the lab together so uh the answer is there are papers out there which you can grab the code from so th those those it's like virtually nothing then so those it costs virtually nothing to those do algorithms this? that the tommy is, is is talking about like they have been published right so you have access to those and you can implement them. You can go ahead and create well, a shit. create a cloud instance, right? Create a cloud instance, a serverless function, which if you go cloud, that's probably the cheapest way to to um, uh, to deploy one of these, uh, you know, services. And then, you know, from your application, you could be making calls to it and getting back from the from the service that you deployed on the cloud, uh, the answer or whatever is the, the predicted position. Crap. <laughs> Do you want some special software built for yourself, Al? I, I was, like, but again, like I keep coming back to this saying, like, like I mean, what an idiot I am. I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, I'm going to download this COVID app. It's going to help. Thing. And then you find out afterwards that the Canada COVID app was really just a tracking, uh, a tracking app, right? It was just, it, it wasn't really supposed to aware you. It was literally built, well, we just want to see the spread of it uh, type, yeah. type thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but again, I don't, I, there's a line between dishonesty and nefarious, I think, that we need of course, to draw, draw of a line yeah. with as well. Is that maybe where we have to be careful with this? Is sure. Saying it's not honest, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's, you know, a takeover the well, world premise. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to answer that yet because okay. I think the research needs to keep going. Yeah. Um, I initially wanted to agree with you, but I'm not going to agree with you Damn because it. the work's not done yet. Okay. Uh, what I can say, though, for sure is this. if If I tell you as a user, as someone who owns a smartphone, that you have a device that is producing a, a location data and you can see coordinates. And I tell you that, you know, governments are using those data to track where you are in the pandemic. More often than not, in my personal experience, I have people say that's okay. If it's about public safety, I'm, I'm willing to yes, relinquish and it. Yes, I would agree. Now, let's say I remove location data from the context and I put it back to you in this way. Your phone is producing a type of data that is being collected discreetly, not secretly, but in the back end in a way that you can't see or control, that contains tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of measurements about how you move and interact with the world, raises the stakes a little bit, gets mm -hmm. a little bit creepy. Mm -hmm. Now, what if I were to say this? What if one, only one 
of those measurements out of the tons and tons and tons and tons of measurements was being used to create algorithms that can make suggestions or make predictions about your behavior, about how you're going to travel, about how you're going to buy things, about what jobs you're going to apply for, and you've never even consented to it. What if a piece of a data type in your phone is fuel to develop a way of thinking about you and selling ideas about you, and you have no control in the process? Mm. That's what's at stake with NMEA0183. That's the thing that bothers me about this. You have developed a language that has been around for a long time that Google has basically taken the, the, the doors off of in terms of access by industry and government mm -hmm. to say, go and take the data from people's smartphones and innovate. It's a sandbox. Have fun. And what if some of those innovations allow different organizations or governments to figure out where you are more accurately than, than you can figure out on your own using your own phone? What if they develop a solution that can predict where you go during the pandemic or when you're traveling as a supposed security threat because you're a journalist mm -hmm. in a way that you can no longer control? Because that really is the most significant implication as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. If I want to turn location tracking off on my phone, I like to think that it turns off. Yeah. We learned from Google a couple of years ago that this is complete bullshit. Your phone keeps sending those data out. Really? You can't stop that. And the thing that bothers me the most about it is that as that stuff is happening, because industry and government are taking those bits out of the tons and tons and tons and tons of data that's available to them in my phone to develop new ways of tracking and determining where I'm going and predicting how I'm going to get there and, and all that, it means the locus of control is no longer in my frame of reference. It's no longer something I can touch. I can't ask the French space agency to stop innovating algorithms to figure out who I am and where I'm going because I can't turn it off anymore. The language is a fuel for innovation and it's completely unregulated. There's no oversight. There's no conversation about whether it's ethical to develop predictive tracking algorithms used by governments during the pandemic. There's no discourse on this. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is the problem. There's zero conversation happening publicly about the ethics and the data justice implications of NMEA 0183 being in our phones, and it's on every smartphone on the planet. We are the only people having this conversation, I assure you. Fernando, could I ask you a, a tech-related question with regards to something that may cross over a little bit to, to the social side? Um, like, so Tommy, Tommy's talking about our phones and, and all this stuff going on in the background and, and all of this information that, that, is, uh, that is coming out. Let me start off with a, a relatively easy one. You're in that sandbox with everybody and you're able to kind of create this, this code. Is that something that you would want to do? Is that like a curiosity for, for somebody as tech savvy as you that's able to kind of dive in with all of this? So I think that that question will depend on people. Everyone will have a, a different answer to that. And I think that it also will be, for example, from my perspective, if it wasn't for Tommy, I don't think I would have looked into that personally. Um, right. Because it's it's not necessarily what I do with my free time. But, <laughs> <laughs> but think about people who are really passionate about GNSS, GPS, um, in coordinates, location information, and, and they are really into this, I can absolutely see how this is an interest for them. 
to look into it, for mm -hmm. example. Um, or someone who okay. has someone like Tommy that tells them, hey, let's investigate this, then <laughs> 100%. Right, um, right, right, right. Or right. if you... Create some friggin' rules around it. Mm -hmm. Or if you have someone, you know, you work for a certain company and someone from, you know, from the management says, so there's this, you know, we want to do some R&D on this possibility and let's look into this, right? And then that's, that's, that's when you would, yeah. yeah. R&D is research and development. Just wanted to throw that in there. I had no yeah, idea. Just wanted to throw that in there for no, anybody I had, listening. That, I had no uh, idea. Wanted to make sure I was on the ball. Thank you. Um, uh, and and a follow, just a quick follow-up question with you. Um, it, it was funny because as you guys were kind of talking about this, in my mind, what I was thinking of, you know, when we're, we're doing any sort of test, we have... Uh, a code of ethics that we have to do if we're dealing with humans or if we're doing, you know, any sort of scientific experiment. We have a, a, a set of ethics and it's very, very difficult, especially in Canada. It's almost impossible to get around that. And people say, well, that's the way it's always been. And then you're like, well, actually, no, unfortunately, it's <laughs> it, it's very modern, uh, a very modern rule. Number one, do you think it is necessary for us to have kind of a governing body? Uh, uh, but number two, is it even possible? Because the one thing that Tommy said that that kind of screwed with my brain a little bit was this idea that, oh, yeah, the French government is going to have access to this. The Russian government is going to have access to this. You know, is it even possible to have a governing body because it would have to go across the world? Everybody would have to agree to the same terms and then find their own way of implementing. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's. I think that this is similar to the way that... Um, we're seeing this in, on the internet, right? With uh, being able to track users through the websites that they go to. And, and you can see how different countries have diff different ways that they look at it. Um, and there's different techniques, even like the, the, the companies developing, you know, browsers or in the case of, of phones, developing phones are trying to put more and more features to try to give more control to the user. But I think that in the end, right, it's, it's going to be hard. And it comes down really to the applications and the way that it's implemented. Um, and mm -hmm. I mean, this this extends across software, to be honest. If you have to comply to certain policies um, of, of the way that you're treating certain data, those policies are written in, in, in words that are understandable by people and that make sense in the, in the human conversations. But when it comes to software, it's hard to determine... The, the specificity of, okay, so does that mean, where, where do I put, the, like, it, it the processes, you know, it's similar to me telling you, I want an application that is able to, you know, in, in which, you know, a, a, an application like Pokemon Go, I can go around and catch people. But then if, if, if you're trying to deconstruct that from a technical point of view, there's a lot of ways that you can go about it in a lot of routes that you can take and in in it's there's a lot of confusion and a lot of noise there and the same happens when you need to mm -hmm. to comply to 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 certain rules right there's ways of implementing it that you might think are correct but maybe it's not the way that they were intended initially so there's a lot of leeway right. okay. in that and i think that is that is the the, the part of the complexity there and then this the, the complexity I, I mean i think that in the end the best that you can hope is that the people developing the applications are following certain rules. That's really the best you can do. Because then if you try to control the other way around, if you try to control the, the what what developers have access to, which, as I mentioned, there is a certain level of, of you know, the, the user needs to provide certain permissions for applications to use the camera, for applications to use the microphone. Um, now that is one, one level that, I guess, does, does a little something. 
But to be honest, in the end, um, the whole thing about code is that it needs to be able to do anything, right? And that it's that it it is pretty much a sandbox, right? Like you have an an, an empty an empty document, right? And then you start typing code into it that's gonna do any can it, anything, right? Whatever whatever it is, because applications can will evolve over time and will need to do different things. And so the tools that you're provided and the tools that you have access to will also evolve. And in the end, you can, yeah, like it's it's all a matter of in one line of code, I can send that location message to a server that I have. And I can either decide to add it or not add it. And it's gonna be hard to police that. So it's really tricky situation. And it, so, so I love that, but I love that word that you use because that, that just kind of brings into my next question. And I, I don't know who this is best for. So you guys just jump in. I am willing to bet a large sum of money because I've met lots and lots of MPs in Canada. I've let, lot, met lots and lots of MPPs in, in Canada, uh, in Ontario, but across Canada as well. I'm willing to bet a large sum of money that most politicians would not understand the conversation we're having right now, let alone, like, let alone the need to say, we need a law to make sure people are not doing that. I mean, you remember the the nonsense, Fernando, you'd probably be a little bit too young, but certainly Tommy and I would, would be old enough, uh, when politicians were trying to understand Napster and talk <laughs> about the, 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 the um, uh, pirating of Napster and, and songs and stuff like that. There's absolutely no way that a government official wanting to police this in a country even would have the wherewithal to even start a discussion about it, would they? No, no. No, no. I mean, t to be honest, in in this, this just came to mind right now, and and I wanted to mention it now. Like, the way in which software is policed in in the you know when you look at at the developer community is when you make software open source. What that means is that other people can contribute right. to it, that right? So true. Yeah, that's people right. can yeah. see exactly what's what what every line says. They can contribute to it, and typically, that's that's what you see. You see, you see that there's trust put in open source uh, software because it is fully transparent, and that it's is is probably the closest thing that we have at the moment to policing software, right? Being able to have full visibility into it, but otherwise, if it's proprietary software you can see what's in every line of code. Right, right. And I, I think it's an important conversation to have, but we're not even there yet. I I, mean, there, there's I, absolutely no way. There, like, I just, I can't see. I can't see a conservative government, a liberal government, um, uh, an NDP government. I can't see any of, of the, the big three uh, politicos in Canada ever being able to understand now that's not i mean i'm not such a dummy as to think well they're the only ones making decisions like obviously they have committees and people advising them and backgrounds and everything like that but trying to pitch this idea to a voter would be horrendous it would be political suicide you just couldn't couldn't do that because nine tenths of the population wouldn't understand it's too early for that yeah yeah and so we're looking at this even kind of being 10 years down the road, and by then it might be too late. I, hopefully sooner, but I mean, the, the problem here is that there is zero public conversation. Mm -hmm. We don't even know what to have a conversation about. I, I'm just going to say, this is such a confusing thing that we don't yes. even know how to start the, that This is This yeah. is something that I, I'm really glad that we can end on this note in this conversation, because we don't know yet. I've been researching this exclusively with Fernando and David Lyon, and my friends at the Surveillance Studies Center, one of the top surveillance research centers on the planet, 
I've been doing this work with our dear friend Ben Muller and Dylan Mahmoudi. I've already mentioned Kirsty Ball, Dan Cohen. They're, they're, we have a massive team. Fernando, how many interns have you had on this project, approximately? Approximately um, somewhere around 10, probably. Since 2018. Jeez. Ten, we've had 10 interns, plus our dear friend Chris McPhee, who has been a, a massive source of inspiration. He was the, he's a former interim director at the Center for Advanced Computing. I mentioned Paige Beto. We, when you put all the people together that we've worked on with us together over the years, I, I would say that our team writ large is probably close to 30 people. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't know yet. It's too early. I, I don't know what's going to happen next. And, and this is why, you know, what's that noise and the premise of trying to find comfort and clarity uh, in matters of confusion and, and, and ambiguity is exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Because this, this moment of not knowing is what keeps me going. We're still trying to answer those questions. What I can say for sure is this. It's too early to have that conversation, but it needs to start. And it needs to start yesterday. So what I'm hoping that my team will do uh, you know, in my moonlight capacity and what they help out with in their daytime hours as uh, academics uh, full time and wonderful people like Fernando, who is also a, a brilliant, brilliant academic and investigator, is that we can find a way to set the table in terms of the key concepts, the definitions, the processes and the practices that we ought to be talking about. Let's just start a conversation and see where it takes us. We did get to a point where we understood Napster better. That's right. You're we absolutely did. right. Yeah. There are different kinds of location data. Yeah. And when we understand what those different types are and how the stuff that we don't see is used as fuel to innovate in ways that really, really throw off your ability to control your own privacy in terms of how you move in the world, there are going to be people who care. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you it will change. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of What's That Noise? If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have a topic or guest in mind, don't hesitate to get in touch at WTNCast. Stay tuned for bi-weekly episodes and until next time, keep listening to the noise. beautiful summary there yeah tell me how so way with words. Fernando, you are you are wicked smart hey eh, man you are wicked yeah. smart like the your your ability to to kind of take these huge terms and put them down into uh, we joke around we call them allen terms because i'm kind of the the guy that doesn't understand most of this you have no, a really really you have a really really great great uh, great ability you are uh, a couple lessons you're going to be all I, right. I, I, I appreciate that, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs>